The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Hello, everybody. I'm thrilled to be here. There's a huge crowd. I was When I began to sit, there were, you know, not that many people. And then halfway through, I opened my eyes. And <laughs> gosh, it's a, it's, it's a real crowd. So thank you for the invitation. It's lovely to be here. It's wonderful to be in California. I love California, the beauty, the sunshine, the vegetation. It's really my place. And so today I thought I'd talk about the wanting mind, the mind of craving, the mind of grasping, excuse me, the mind of greed, the attached mind, because the Buddha had this really simple style very often when he spoke to the lay people, the monks, And sometimes it would seem kind of obvious, the examples that he would use. And one time he was talking to a group of people and he said that if a person is wanting to procure oil, is going in search of oil, and then they pick up a tub, fill it with sand and add a little bit of water, And then they make the wish, may this tub of sand and water procure oil. Well, he says, of course, this isn't going to happen. And then, as he always says, why is this so? Well, because the means for procuring oil is not being undertaken. And then he says, similarly with the Dharma. If we're interested in freedom from suffering, well, then we have to do that which procures freedom from suffering. But if we don't know what it is that causes suffering, well, then we're not going to know in which direction to turn to free ourselves. So he spoke many times about the cause of suffering, which is craving, which is what I'm going to talk about today. He spoke about it in many different ways. And then, too, very thankfully, he also spoke about how to free ourselves from this craving, this source of suffering. But when we hear that it's craving that binds us to this round of birth and death or binds us to suffering, at first glance, it may not make a whole lot of sense to us, especially if we're coming from the perspective of ignorance. And not to offend anybody, but most of us come from that perspective of not knowing, especially before we come to the Dharma and for quite a while in the earlier stages of the Dharma. So we may think, well, you know, of course we're going to crave because the reason that we crave is that the things that bring us happiness and fun and pleasure, those are the things that we crave because they deliver what we're looking for. 
but we're asked to take a closer look because they appear to bring us the happiness, the joy, the fun and deliver to us in our lives. But if we look more closely, as the Buddha suggests that we do, as he encourages us, as he exhorts us, then we'll see that those things that we crave, desire, want actually don't deliver. And why is that? Well, because they're changing all the time. The things we're craving, the things we desire are changing all the time. And the very desire itself, that too, is changing all the time. So you might say then that the cause of craving is seeking enjoyment in things that actually bring about bondage because we don't know any better yet. So I'd like to read what the Buddha has to say about the results of craving in the world when we're caught in this vortex of perpetually wanting, desiring and craving. He says that, I'll I'll read it to you, that the world, our existence boils down to a very low level of consciousness. This is what he has to say. There are nine things rooted in craving. Because of craving, there is pursuit. Because of pursuit, there is acquisition. Because of acquisition, there is decision. Because of decision, there is desire and lust. Because of desire and lust, there is selfish tenacity. Because of selfish tenacity, there is possessiveness. Because of possessiveness, there is avarice. Because of avarice, there is concern for protection. Because of concern for protection, there is the seizing of cudgels and weapons and various evil, unwholesome things such as quarrels, strife, dissension and offensive talk slander and lies. These are the nine things rooted in craving. So we can see that nothing good ever came out of craving or ever comes out of craving. It brings about all of the the suffering, the pain, the sorrow, the hurt in the world because of wanting something for me and not wanting you to have it. We create this separation in the world. So the Pali word, which I'm sure most of you already know, for craving is tanha. Tanha, and this direct translation means thirst, which is actually a more apt description of what craving really is because it's about a gnawing, nagging thirst that is never satisfied. So an example that I've used in my own experience is noticing when I put too much salt on my food. I tend to like a lot of salt on whatever I eat. So 
If we put a lot of salt on our food, or often we will add soy sauce to our meal, or extra, maybe if we're eating fries, ketchup and salt. So if we have a tendency to do this, and if you've done retreats, sometimes the food is exceedingly healthy and not much salt is added. So if you add extra, and then you don't drink any water afterwards, it might be here too, it might be in a restaurant, and you don't drink anything, and then you go out, do your your day's events, or go out for a walk, and then halfway through you might realize, oh, I forgot to drink some water, forgot to have any water. And now you have that nagging thirst, gnawing, nagging thirst. But then you get home, and instead of having a drink of water, now you have another plate of French fries with more ketchup or something, a bag of crisps that are very salty. So you're adding insult to injury. You're just fueling that same thirst. So it's never satiated. This is that gnawing, nagging craving that obsesses us so much in our lives and actually is our source of suffering. The Buddha tells us, though, and this is important for us to understand, the Buddha tells us that we've been locked, we've been bound to craving for endless eons, countless eons. And this is very helpful for us to know because often for some people they'll come to the Dharma hear about the source of suffering being craving, and then they're on a mission. Right. By the end of the year, the week, the month, by the time I turn 40 or 50, I am going to beat this craving. I'm going to have overcome craving. It doesn't work like that. First of all, it's to remind ourselves that it's about the moment. We're letting go of this grasping, this craving in one moment. The rest doesn't exist yet. There is only this moment. So that's all we're working with. So when we hear this, we can let go of that mission. We can relax. It's going to take time. All we need to work with is here and now. How am I relating to this moment now? Is there craving that's present? So we can turn around this contracted, perhaps, craving to let go. Because, of course, the wanting to let go, the wanting to be free from suffering, if it's coming from the source of craving, is craving in itself. So rather can we turn this around and bring in the wholesome kind of want to free ourselves from suffering, because this is often a confusion. People say, well, wait a minute, I'm here coming to listen to the Dharma, I'm coming to practice the Dharma, because I do want to be free from suffering. So our language is rather limited. We have this word want, but in the Pali language, there are two different words that can be used. There is the unwholesome kind of want or craving, which is the tanha, And there's also the wholesome kind of want, which is chanda. And this is, for us in the English language, a more apt word 
could be aspiration. We aspire to freedom from suffering. And there's a completely different physical experience. With craving or wanting, there is a contraction in the heart. We can literally feel a tightness in the heart, a tightness in the mind. Whereas with the wholesome aspiration to work towards freedom from suffering, you can feel an openness of heart and an upliftedness of heart. You might also use the phrase a wise conviction. There is a quality of a wise trust in this wholesome aspiration. So they're very different and it's good to know that there is this difference. So let's take a look at the three different kinds of craving that may be present in any moment. Now you may have heard about craving and the three different kinds many, many times, but it's so deeply entrenched in us that it's very helpful to hear it from many different perspectives because our assumption that we know what it is can get in the way sometimes of our our willingness to revisit the how the tendencies may manifest and take a fresh look at them. So the first kind of craving is one we know m- most, I think, in our lives. We're most familiar with it, and it's the craving for sense pleasures. Pleasant tastes, sounds, touches, smells, sights, and things that are fantasies and that that arise in the mind. And for each of us, it may be a different one of these sense doors that is our particular nemesis. For some of us, it might be sights, others of us, sounds, touches, tastes, and so on. But what happens when we're caught in the grip of the sense desires? Well, we can be blinded by them, trample over anything in our path to get what we want. On the news a couple of years ago, they had an, uh, a story about, I think it was Walmart, had this massive sale. And the doors, people were waiting there, the crowd was waiting there, waiting for the doors to open. And as the doors opened, there was this stampede for people to get those special deals. And in the melee, someone was trampled to death. And that's what what can happen. We turn into non-human beings in our blindness to, to get what we want. So fortunately, as we come to the Dharma, the practice of mindfulness wakes us up to this sense desire of one kind or another. Although it's very, very deep, and so we have to keep watching it in all aspects of our lives. If I think of myself in my daily life and uh, I tend to like shopping and so I'll see myself in a store and I don't, I'll I'll go in and the attendant will come up to to me and ask me, you know, is there anything that they can help me with? And I'll respond by saying, well, I don't know yet, but I know that there is something. The desire is in there. And I'm just waiting for it to land on something, waiting for the kill. 
And then it's, ah, oh, I found that thing. And I can feel the, 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 you know, the kind of euphoric feeling arises in the mind. And there's almost a, a feverish quality that can accompany this feeling of desire in the mind. We really are blinded. But what can we work with in terms of these sense desires? It's sense restraint. Really bringing mindfulness to the fact that, ah, desire is present in the mind. What's really happened? The eye has alighted upon an object, and because those two have met, collided, touched each other, out of that, because there wasn't an awareness that, okay, this is just seeing, a desire arose and a craving arose. Just in the last week or so, being here in California, I went to see the most amazing art exhibition of Gertrude Stein's art. It was absolutely stunning. So, of course, the the tendency of desire arose. But, of course, I, I realized there's no way I can ever own one of these unbelievable paintings. But I did find something for the eye to land on, and that was the frames that the paintings were in. They were equally exquisite, unbelievably good quality, very artistically made, put together. And here I had to watch. I didn't pick it up very early every time. And so here I was seeing these incredible frames, and before I knew it, some of the pictures, the simple pictures I have at home, I was I was getting rid of that frame and replacing it with one of these really exquisite frames and then realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's just seeing, seeing. So you can go backwards. You know, even if you've noticed the craving, the wanting, the planning, the scheming, this is what happens when desire is there. We can recognize, ah, this is the the craving mind. What has actually happened? Ah, seeing, seeing what a pleasant sight, seeing and pleasant. So there's no problem with the seeing and the pleasantness of it. It's not that we can't see something pleasant and appreciate beauty. It's the craving that immediately attaches itself to that pleasant sight when we're not aware of it. So I work with this a lot in my daily life. Being a greed type, this is, amongst all the others too, but particularly this craving, wanting mind. Just before coming out to California, I noticed on my deck outdoors that some of the little uh, plants, potted plants I have, are attracting hummingbirds. Now this is a fairly new occurrence for me. So I was delighted by this. So here, seeing that delight and then noticing the wanting Ah, no, not the female hummingbird. That's not beautiful enough. The male hummingbird with all those colors, that's the one that I want to have. So then it went uh, a step further. Now I want to have my morning coffee and be ready for the hummingbird. I'm wanting that beautiful, full experience, drinking the coffee, whilst sitting on the deck and having the hummingbird. Now, this is true. So I'm watching this going on in the mind. 
Then coming to California, what do I have in this fabulous home that I'm staying in? She's got one of these um, little hummingbird feeders. So now there are tons of hummingbirds that are there all the time. So now what do you think's happened? <laughs> hummingbirds? Ah! I don't want to look at hummingbirds anymore. Seen them. Now I want something better, bigger, a bigger bird, a more beautiful experience for the eye to land on. So this is what happens with sense desire, whether it's food, whether it's sounds, tastes, touches, etc. How we can get caught in the grip of these sense desires. Not to judge ourselves, but simply to know that this is happening. The other thing that can happen with these sense desires, all of our good intentions, our wholesome intentions, our wholesome intentions to be kind and generous, if we're not aware, they can go right out of the window. On one of my first three-month retreats, maybe it was the second three-month retreat, at that time, I was living in London. And so I was at the airport at Heathrow. And on the spur of the moment, I thought, oh, I'm going to buy my teacher, who was Joseph, a, a little gift. And I thought I'd buy him a, a little box of high-quality chocolates. And I'd, I'd put them in my hand luggage. And so I went to the best store at the airport, which was Harrods. I thought it was Harrods. So I bought this little box, small little box of high-quality chocolate-coated almonds with, you know, they get this um, cocoa powder over them. And then it was wrapped in a, a cellophane box, so you could see through it, with a beautiful bow. So it's a tiny box, like four inches long by maybe three inches. This was the gift for Joseph. So I got to IMS and unpacked my things and I put this little box on the shelf and the interview process comes about in about three or four days after opening day and I, you know, noticed this little box on my shelf and I noticed it a second time and the eyes landed on the little box and <laughs> then a third time and fourth time and then I thought well you know what if I take out just one of those chocolate coated almonds he's not going to notice I'll tie the ribbon on really neatly and rearrange them and no one's going to know so this is what happens when there's no awareness okay Unwise attention, repeated unwise attention. Before we know, we're scheming and we've come up with the perfect unwholesome plan. So I took out one. It was pretty good. <laughs> but craving begets craving. So what do you think happened? <laughs> well, I thought, okay, I'll have a second one. And then a second led to a third. So then I thought, well... I'll just have the first layer. He's not going to notice. There'll be the other two layers. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I devoured the whole box. <laughs> this is what happened. All of my good intentions for generosity out the window. I did tell Joseph, 
about 12 years later. I did tell him what had happened. He said, use it in a Dharma talk. It's a good lesson. So I did. This is what can happen when unawareness is there. So really, had I brought wise attention to that moment, realizing, ah, this is desire, wanting, just notice it, restraint, practice restraint, take the eyes somewhere else to support letting go. This is just desire in the mind. But I didn't. So the more we work with it, the more the wholesome qualities will begin to grow. Craving diminishes, replaced by the wholesome qualities of generosity, etc. So let's look at the second kind of craving. I'm seeing I'm craving to get a lot in here and I have to let go and just get in what I can in the time I've got. So the second kind of craving. This kind of craving is the craving to become, the craving to have some future pleasant existence. So this manifests as fantasies in the mind, planning to become something better in the future. So it can manifest, for example, let's say you have a good sit here, a good meaning, easeful, the mind is not too distracted, you're relating to it with a sense of ease. And then you think, if I carry on like this, I'm going to be a really good meditator. I'm going to be a great... So this is becoming a better meditator. Being born into future moments of what hasn't happened yet. Fantasizing about something. I'm going to become kinder, going to become a happier person. Grasping at future existence. Being born into future existence. It can happen, too, out in our our worldly life, just in in pretty ordinary ways. One that I've seen happen frequently in my own life is when I play the game of Scrabble. Don't play it that much anymore. People don't want to play with me because I take too long. Why do I take too long? Well, I've got my second letters, and I want to use all of the F's, the P's, the B's, the the X's to make one, you know, that's becoming successful. I'm going to become the winner. Use all the letters and then put them on a double letter, triple word to get more, to become successful. This is future becoming. Craving for future success. So you might see this in your worldly life in one way or another, being born into future moments. It can also happen with me on a long retreat. Everything is going perfectly well. I was at IMS for six months one time, going perfectly well, and I was sitting one time, and out of the blue, this desire to be productive. Now, I was being productive. I was working on the liberation, being with the present moment. But at this time, of course, I wasn't being with the present moment because this desire to be productive loomed into the mind and it seemed to make a lot of sense. Yes, desire to use my time wisely. I was, but I wasn't noticing that. 
So I could feel this contraction arising in the mind, this contraction in the body, this leaning forward physically. So this is how you can feel this this craving arising in the body. Contraction in the body, leaning forward, contraction in the mind. But fortunately, awareness rose to the fore. I'd been practicing formally for quite a long time, so I would have hoped that some awareness would arise in the mind. It did. So, okay, here's craving to become productive in the future. How to work with it? Well, simply notice desire. Just notice desire has arisen in the mind. So I had to support myself by realizing or or thinking, well, wait a minute. Imagine if this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Imagine if I was going to be a, a, a monastic and this was my life. Awareness of the present moment in a formal setting. So it would be sitting, walking, eating in a a formal setting. That supported me to simply be there with that knowing desire arising in the mind. Desire being known. So I sat there with it. Desire, 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 breathing, giving it space, including it into the mix. Yes, this is desire, being known. And what happened? The desire began to fade. It simply diminished. I saw clearly that it was impermanent. Desire is impermanent. It is an impermanent arising in the mind due to conditions, and when conditions change, the desire changes too. Therefore, it's not me and mine. It's not my desire. It's a desire that's arisen due to conditions and changes. When I saw this, it was so freeing. This spaciousness, this ease, this letting go of needing to fulfill that desire arose. It can simply be known like any other arising, like pain in the knee, Sadness, irritability can simply be known. So this is how we support ourselves in letting go of the need to fulfill any desire that arises in the mind. See it as just an impermanent arising. Don't act on it. Just watch it. Take a look. So then... Let's take a look at the third kind of craving. So it's craving for sense pleasures, craving to become something in the future. It's called craving for future existence. The last kind of craving is the opposite of the second kind. Sometimes it's called craving for unbecoming or non-becoming or craving for non-existence. So this energetically is the opposite kind of move, whereas craving for becoming is a kind of a movement forward, uh, a movement forward into the future. Now we're pulling away from the moment that's here. We're trying to get away from the moment. There's a wanting to get rid of our defilements, a wanting to get rid of our unskillful tendencies that we may have. 
Get rid of our jealousy, get rid of the irritability, get rid of the unkindness, etc. You get, you get the picture. It's pulling away from the present moment. Wanting to leave the party. I use this because sometimes I see myself going to a, a party and I'm there, but inwardly I'm, I'm walking out backwards. You know, it's that kind of thing, okay, this is enough. I also noticed it in interview, going for interview during retreat. I'm walking into the interview and walking towards the chair to sit down. And although the physical bodily movement is moving forward, inwardly, energetically, I'm pulling away. I'm wanting to walk out the door. That's wanting to get away from the moment that's here. So you may have noticed that too in your your daily life. It might be wanting to get away from the heat of summer so that you can become the cool of autumn, if if it's how it is here, if it gets very hot. For me and Barry, I usually feel I'm pulling away from winter so that I can become spring. So you'll be able to notice these qualities manifesting in daily life in many different ways. Once you get attuned to it, you'll, you'll see it showing itself. And then, too, what, what happens is that we may have what we're looking for. That, that situation, summer, for example, may be here, or the thing that we've wanted to, to own, to possess, that may be here. We may actually have it. But then what happens? We want it to stay the same. We, 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 we try to control things to be the way that we want them to be. And that doesn't work either. A while ago, a couple of years ago, I bought a new cherry wood dining room table. This was my pride and joy. I had to save up for it, so it was really to pride of place in my living room. And then I had a a group of people over for Thanksgiving dinner. And the next day, looked at this living room table and it had a deep six-inch gouge right in the middle of the table. Oh, so what do you think happened? Well, contraction. But having practiced, this was only a couple of years ago, having practiced for many years now, you get to pick up the dukkha, the suffering that comes with wanting it to be a different way. You pick it up quickly because you don't want to suffer wisely. So this is wisdom. Let go, let go. So this is what happened. Saw the, the, the gouge on the table, oh, the contraction, the wanting it to have stayed. I wanted it to be the same. Wanted it to be brand new. What's new becomes old very quickly. Nothing stays the same. It's changing whether it's a new car or a new dining room table or a new anything. It's aging or ourselves. So we need to let go of the holding on to wanting these objects, these beautiful things that we have, wanting things to stay the same. And in the letting go, you'll see there'll be freedom. This is the way it is, freedom. Or our relationships. We're in relationship with someone, and they begin to change, and we don't want them to change. Or we begin to change, and then we we start to get angry or resentful or picky about the other person. And 
what happens? You can feel a pulling away. Resentments and angers can come into our relationships and we can begin to see how wanting someone to be either different than they are or wanting them to be the way we want them to be creates separation, creates disharmony. There's lack of love in a heart that can't allow somebody else to be the way they are. So this too is the negative aspect of craving, of holding on. There is no good that ever comes out of tanha, out of craving. So what is the, the source? What, what, what is it that brings about all of this craving? All of craving is born out of the wrong idea, the wrong view that this is me and my experience. It's born out of the wrong view of self. This is me and my life and therefore I need to have, I need to want, I need to get. So this is what we're working to see in our practice. And how do we see it? By working just very patiently, willingly, with mindfulness to see that all that arises is changing. The desire, the craving, the wanting that arises is impermanent. It comes and goes. The actual objects that we're craving, they're impermanent. They're changing all the time too. So more and more we work with this in our daily lives, in our formal practice. Noticing the changing nature of experience. And slowly out of this, we, and I say slowly, it's incremental. We work with the moment, just a moment at a time. And we can taste these little moments, instances where we've let go of not needing to have that craving that's arisen in the mind met. So the Buddha speaks about the uninstructed worldling. The uninstructed worldling is someone that doesn't know that there's a way out of suffering, that there is a way to be free. We here may not be free yet, but we're headed in that direction. We have the teachings, we have the instructions. But the sea of beings, the all worldlings, as the Buddha says, the uninstructed worldlings, he describes them as being like a dog on a leash that is tethered to a pole. And what happens? This dog just runs round and round and round and round this pole, forever caught in this trap of suffering, these likening dogs. So what happens when we hear an example like this? It can really allow for the compassionate heart to come to the fore when we see for ourselves, when we're caught in the grip of craving ourselves, the suffering that it brings, and we know what to do. We know we may not be successful at it yet, but we're working towards it. So we can offer our practice and the compassionate heart towards all beings who would like dearly to be free from suffering and yet are tethered to this pole of craving not knowing how to free themselves. So let's just stop right here.
and just sit quietly for a moment or two. Thank you for listening.